Well, hi there. It's Take Two with Jerry and Debbie and you on EWTN Radio, although we're going to let Debbie have this episode off and you as well as far as your calls. We don't want you to go anywhere. We want you to listen to this conversation. It is going to be uplifting. It's going to be inspiring, informative, and I think we'll come away with a greater love of not only our faith in general, but the Blessed Virgin Mary, our spiritual mother as well, because it is a taped show right now, and we are not going to take your live calls, but we are so glad that you tuned in. So settle in, because we have Tim Stapleton joining us today. He's a prominent Catholic apologist. You may know him from Catholic Answers. He is an author, a dynamic speaker, known for his fervent commitment to defending and explaining the teachings of the Catholic Church. Tim is a convert to the Catholic faith. He is married to Valerie. They've got, I believe, seven kids, unless he updates me on that. And uh, Tim is going to be sharing a lot of uh, information with us today, especially from his book, Behold Your Mother, about our Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, Tim, welcome to Take Two. Welcome back. Jerry, it is great to be with you, my friend. It is, yeah. Was I right? No, no additional kids lately. You got seven. That's uh, right. That's okay, right. Well, well, we do have two more in heaven, though. Oh, Remember right. that. My That's daughter right. Catherine always, always, always. If ever I'm being interviewed or I'm on our radio broadcast and this comes up, if I ever say we have seven kids, I know my daughter Catherine is going to slap me when I get home. <laughs> she always says, "Dad, you don't have seven kids. You have nine kids." There are two in heaven and seven on earth, <laughs> so I stand corrected. So you do have a baseball team then. Okay, that's good. That's right. <laughs> we made it, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and Tim, um, you know, you've been at Catholic Answers for uh, quite a while now. I was, I was with you there until uh, the Lord directed me out to do some other things. But um, okay. just give our listeners, you know, just the Reader's Digest of how you, how you got there. I mean, there was a time in your life when— <laughs> I mean, you you decide I'm, I'm going to be a Catholic apologist working for this nutcase Catholic apologetics organization. What are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. It, I laugh because, you know, uh, if you would have told me about 30, what, 35, 36 years ago that one day I would be traveling the world defending the Catholic faith, I would have tried to cast a demon out of you, man, because mm-hmm. that would have been absolutely insane because I was raised Southern Baptist and later became an Assembly of God youth minister. <clears throat> and in that time, I believed the Catholic Church was the most evil institution on the planet, you know, uh, worse than Islam, worse than any, because I believed that they were leading people who believed in Jesus away from Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. with the idolatry, worshiping Mary, worshiping statues, and on and on we could go. That's the way I was raised. That's what I believed from my heart. But I met a young Catholic Marine, uh, Sergeant Matt Dula, you've heard his name before, yeah, <laughs> Jerry, <laughs> who in the Marine Corps, I when, when I found out he was Catholic, I immediately began to evangelize him, and he ended up evangelizing me. And we, we had an argument, I always say, that lasted about a year straight. And, <laughs> and uh, over that time, he got through on a lot of points. He gave me a lot of books to read, and I was determined I'm going to read all these books about Catholicism to prove it wrong. And that's how I became Catholic. Now, when I converted back in 1988, I had been a youth minister, as I said, in the assemblies, and I I just wanted to preach the gospel. So uh, I talked to the local vocations director in Arlington, Virginia, Father Jim Gould, and uh, I was immediately allowed to enter into formation for the priesthood, where I spent six years, wonderful six years of formation, attended St. Charles Borromeo in Philadelphia, as well mm-hmm. as uh, for philosophy and, and 
at Mount St. Mary's in Emmitsburg, Maryland, for theology. And in those years, I, I just absolutely loved it. And I was blessed to sit under some absolutely wonderful, holy, and knowledgeable priests. And when I uh, discerned after six years I wasn't called to the priesthood and I left, that's when, um, you know, where, do, where am I to go here? And the doors opened for Catholic apologetics. I started out with a, in a little radio apostolate in Orange, California, called St. Joseph Radio. I was there for three years. I, then I spent seven years with Terry Barber and St. Joseph Communications, but then the doors opened for Catholic Answers, and my goodness, has this been mm. the perfect fit here over the last 18 years. I can't believe it's been that long, but here in San Diego, and I tell you, Jerry, to this day, I can't believe I get paid to do mm. this, but I really do travel the world defending the Catholic faith, and I'm so grateful to God for this great gift. Well, you do that indeed, and and just before we, you know, I want to get into your book, Behold Your Mother and, and Our Blessed Mother Mary and so forth, but real quickly, we've got about two minutes till the break. Um, Catholic apologetics, where where is it right now, um, just generally speaking, because Catholic Answers has been going on for a long time, um, yeah. other other organizations have, have got as raised up. Um, are, we, yeah. are we still, you know, is it still necessary? Is it still thriving? What, what would you say about Catholic apologetics in general? Yeah, I would say, in general, it has exploded. Uh, thanks be to God for, for your boss, your old boss and my old boss, Carl Keating, mm-hmm. who is one of the, the fathers of this uh, modern apologetics movement that began back in the late 70s and has just exploded. I tell you, everywhere I go now, not only do we see these great organizations popping up here with you know the guys at Augustine Institute or, or the force they have at EWTN in general, you know, with uh, David Anders, and there, there's just so many great minds out there now, um, so much more than when I started out. There was very little out there. Um, it's exciting, and now it's around the world. We have groups in the Philippines and Australia, and we travel there, and we have organizations like Catholic Answers that are that are popping up and Australia, you have one in Sydney with Perusia. You have uh, Evangelization Australia in Perth. I'm getting ready to go there and do some work with them in, in just a few weeks. And we have we see it now, apologetics popular in India, Malaysia. I mean, we literally do go around the world, and uh, apologetics is everywhere. I mean, we were kind of the outcasts years back. Do we really need this? But now, my goodness. Our, our own Carlo Broussard just got hired to work uh, in a diocese in Illinois teaching the seminarians apologetics, you know. Oh, fantastic. It, oh, my gosh. It, it, it's just, you know, I've done, my gosh, I, I remember when, when I first went, it was my second trip to Australia being Real invited question. by, yeah, by Cardinal Pell to give a, a day on apologetics to all the priests of the Archdiocese of Sydney. And that's where we've come. Wow, praise God. This is a pre-record today on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie. No phone calls, but we will continue our conversation with Catholic Answers apologist Tim Staples. We're going to dive into his book, Behold Your Mother, about the Virgin Mary. So stay with us. Great to have you with us today. Take Two with Jerry and Debbie on EWTN Radio. Great thanks to our producer, Ace McKay, for again putting another 
tape program together for us. Debbie is out today. I'm Jerry Usher talking with Catholic Answers Director of Apologetics, Tim Staples. And we gave a little bit of a, an overview of Tim's entry into the Catholic Church and apologetics and where apologetics is overall really in the world right now. Great to hear, Tim, that it's thriving so fantastically. You know, it's that time of the year to get new calendars. You know, what better way to start a new year than with Mother Angelica? We've got a spiral-bound perpetual calendar featuring an inspirational message from Mother for each day of the year. It opens to form a built-in easel for desktop display. And since it's a perpetual calendar, you can use it year after year. It's the Daily Quotes from Mother Angelica Perpetual Calendar. Get yours. They're available now at EWTNRC.com. You get free standard shipping for online orders, $75 or more in the continental U.S. Use code FREE when you check out. And... Uh, I know that we had planned to talk about, uh, you know, the Virgin Mary and your book, Behold Your Mother. Again, just, uh, you know, just kind of tongue-in-cheek, you know, the, the thought for you 25, 30 years ago that you would, you would write such a book, you know, had to be just uh, completely out of the question. But what was, for you, uh, a devotionally, personally for you, what was the motivation? And secondly, what, what, what did you want the book to do for the greater population? Yeah, a great question. Uh, I, I think motivationally it was born out of the fact that the Marian dog doctrines as well as dogmas were the the biggest obstacles for me in my odyssey to the Catholic faith. In fact, I used to believe you know Mary was the one that was going to keep me Catholic because right? I was seeing a lot of Catholic truth in my dialogue with my Catholic interlocutor, but. The Marian stuff I just thought was so outlandish. But when I began to dive in, and again, Matt gave me books, you know, James Cardinal Gibbons' Faith of Our Fathers. He gave me Ludwig Ott's Fundamentals of Catholic Dogma, The Church Teaches by the Jesuit Fathers of St. Mary's. He gave me the, the Canons and Decrees of Ecumenical Councils, challenged me to look into what the Catholic Church actually teaches rather than what Jimmy Swaggart says the Catholic Church teaches. And I really started to dive in. Jerry, I found a, a, just a, an enormous amount of biblical as well as historical uh, truth about the Blessed Virgin Mary that literally blew my mind. The fathers of the Church, the teachings of the Church, opened my eyes in ways, it, it really it made the Bible come alive. So I knew, uh, after I converted to Catholic faith, uh, I had to one day write this book. Mm. And it started with tape sets. You remember those, don't you? <laughs> Cassette tapes, yeah. <laughs> you know, I did a 12-tape set on the yeah. Blessed Virgin Mary, and, and I remember uh, when I went to uh, St. Uh, Joseph Communications, Terry Barber said, you know, this thing is too big, man. We can't sell it. Not, can you cut it down to nine? So I cut it down from 12 tapes to nine and then later, uh, at Catholic Answers, I did a couple of six tape sets. We split it up into two. But th that I, I sort of refined it over the years, and we just saw so much fruit from it. Protestants, ministers, you know, who became Catholic and said, Tim, my goodness, when I saw this. In fact, when I wrote the book, it's hard to believe it was, I, I published uh, that eight years ago, but uh, Al Cresta, our friend, Mm -hmm. You know, he wrote one of the blurbs. He said, Tim, if you'd have written that book years ago w when I was on my odyssey to the Catholic faith, you would have cut a whole lot of time off for me. You know, so really the w what I wanted to do is to give the a kind of a go-to book 
for folks, uh, apologetic in nature, that will that will give the reasons why we believe what we believe about all of the Marian, uh, uh, not just dogmas, but the doctrines as well. But then, and perhaps most importantly, I wanted to show how with each one of these doctrines, it's crucial for us to understand them for our spiritual lives. This is not just an intellectual exercise in learning Mariology, but really, as, as the great Father John Harden, the great Jesuit, said, without a coherent Mariology, you eventually are reduced to an incoherent Christology and an incoherent understanding of God. And and it's so true. This is one of the most important things I think I do in the book, is show you that if you miss it on Mary, you're going to end up missing it on God, you're going to miss it on Jesus, and ultimately you're going to miss it on yourself as well, because she is the manifestation, the icon of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Mm. Tim Staples with us talking about his love for the Blessed Virgin Mary, which we all should share, and we can grow in that love and devotion each and every day. And yeah, I, I appreciate the comment that Al Cresta made, uh, like you said on the back of the book, if you, had, if you had written that, or somebody had written that a long time ago, his return to the Catholic faith would have been a lot more uh, expedited. And I'm curious, you touched upon this a little bit. Um, you know, for, for the Tim Stapleses who are out there right now, um, maybe sensing that there might be something to this Catholic Church's Marian theology, these dogmas, these doctrines, this, this devotion. Um, have, are you hearing from anybody like non-Catholics, anti-Catholics who have picked up your book and maybe you're making some strides toward a proper understanding of Our Lady? A, a, actually, a local pastor here in Southern California of, of a very large Protestant denomination uh, contacted me here at Catholic Answers. This has been, oh gosh, this was probably eight, nine years ago, and had questions. And so I started answering his questions. Then we ended up getting together and having lunch. He was a young pastor, you know, three pretty small children and dynamic guy, gorgeous wife, just a wonderful, you know, guy with a, a, a small and growing church. Mm-hmm. But as the conversation grew, and he just started seeing more and more the truth of the Blessed Virgin Mary. He was me, you know, 30 years ago. He was, you know, this was kind of the last obstacle for him. Evidently, he had been listening to Catholic Answers Live for quite a while and and was troubled and finally, you know, kind of came out of the closet <laughs> to use the <laughs> phrase here and, and talk to me. Well, we were at lunch one day. And we were talking about the Immaculate Conception, which had been a stickler for him. And I'm in the middle of giving him some of the eight biblical reasons that, you know, that I do in my book, uh, biblical and historical reasons why Mary is the Immaculate Conception. And all of a sudden, he burst into tears. Mm. And and he put his head in his hands, and I was like, hey, brother, you you all right? Uh, you know, because... I was a little bit like, what? You know, I'm talking about the American conception here. And, and he looks up at me with tears streaming down his face, and he goes, Oh, my word, Tim, this stuff is true. What mm-hmm. am I going to do? Because mm-hmm. he knew, man, his whole life was wrapped up in his church, his, his income. He's got young kids, and it was a very difficult time for him and his wife, but he ended up uh, coming into full communion with the church. He lost his church and now is working with a philanthropic organization 
took a bit of a pay cut, but, you know, he's doing well. And, Jerry, we see this constantly. We have a there's never a time where we don't have discussions going on with folks here at Catholic Answers. We have pastors, we have atheists, we have you know you name it. We're in dialogue with them. It is such a blessing, and the fruits have been absolutely out of this world. Mm. Well, and to that end, you know, uh, you experienced this. You mentioned this, this pastor who, who just recently experienced this, and, and these all these others you're in con- you know, dialogue with. Um, I don't know that people really appreciate the, the, the kind of the bind that they find themselves in, if you will. Um, a lot of us might think, well, you know, you, you've, you've discovered the truth. You've seen it with your own eyes. You've come to believe it. What, what's the problem? Come on in, you know. But for, for you know, a lot of these individuals, it's, it's a lot more complicated than that, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about, you know, the Holy Father talks about accompanying people. Well, we have not done a very... Good job. Thank God for Marcus Grodi and now his son, who who is uh, doing a phenomenal job there with the Coming Home Network. Mm-hmm. Uh, we send people to them. They send people to us all the time. You know, it, it's a group that's really trying to to pick up the slack where the, the church just hasn't. We, we just haven't done a real good job at helping folks. And here's the, the key, Jerry, is with a lot of these guys like this young Pastor, I was talking about all he had was a Bible college degree. And so when he converts, you know, he doesn't have anywhere to go because without a master's or a PhD, there's not a lot, you know, Bible college degree doesn't get you very far in, in the Catholic Church. And they really do need our help because some of these pastors end up not converting and they stay where there are and it's it's killing them in their consciences, but they don't know how they're going to be able to take care of their families. So that it's a, you know, again, thanks be to God for, for Marcus and what he has done over there. They, they do what they can and they've done a lot, but we definitely need to do more. And we also have to understand, as you mentioned, the plight of, of these folks. For me, I was still single. I didn't have a wife and kids. So it wasn't as hard for me, but I can tell you it was extremely difficult because I lost my church. I lost, you know, my dream of being a pastor. I was there, you know, and and my family, you know, rejected this and rejected me. My my church, you know, threw me out. Nobody would talk to me and all that. These are real difficult things folks go through. Thanks be to God, you know, that as Father Vincent Serpa said to me years ago, in fact, when I was talking to that fellow, I remember actually talking to Father Serpa, who, by the way, used to be our chaplain here at, at Catholic Answers years ago, but I remember when I was first talking to that guy, this was before he can verted, but I was struggling with that very idea. I mean, this guy, you know, he, where is he going to go if he converts? And I remember Father Serpa saying, Tim, the same Holy Spirit that has brought him here to Catholic Answers is going to see him through. And, you know, and I, I said, Amen, Father, and thank you for that. But you know what? I think, Jerry, the Holy Spirit uses us to help in that process. Yeah. Well, yeah, and the uh, the, the the twelve that Jesus called, they all took uh, pay cut as well. I think so. <laughs> yeah, uh, yes, there, there's, they there's did. kind of a precedent for that. Yeah. Um, 
You know, I want to. I'd like to take one of the doctrines that you cover. You mentioned the Immaculate Conception and these eight points. Um, I I don't know if you're game for that. You know, we can we can start on that now. We've got a break. You know, in about uh, I don't know six or seven minutes, and we can continue after the break. But do you want to just walk us through? You know, one of the uh, key Marian teachings. You know, obviously you you you, you've got to be somewhat brief. You you expound upon it so much more in the book. Which, by the way, people you can get at uh, shop.catholic.com. It's Behold Your Mother by Tim Staples at shop.catholic.com but is is there a favorite one of yours that you can kind of unpack for us uh, today yeah well i i would say the most difficult one for folks the immaculate conception mm-hmm. you know that that was one i thought was absolutely so crazy but here here's what i can do i can just give you a couple of points that i make in, in the book but number one the first thing you have to do is deal with the the elephant in the middle of the room and that's Romans 3:23 all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God right first John chapter 1 verse 8 if any man says he has no sin he is a liar and the truth is not in him how in the world are you going to tell me Mary is without sin when the bible says it's plain as day this is what i said to my buddy Matt Dool all those years ago right mm-hmm. this was 1986 <laughs> that can't be 19 yes it is that's is that 36 years ago? Oh, my goodness. Anyway, 37, yeah. 30, 37 years ago. Oh, my gosh, that's right. But but that's what I said to him. But I'll never forget his response, and I share this in the book. But he said, Tim, <laughs> this is kind of like a left hook from Mike Tyson, out of the blue, you know? He said, Tim, you are the first Christian I've ever met who believes Jesus Christ is a sinner. And I'm like, mm. What? What are you talking? I didn't say Jesus Christ. Yes, you did. If any man, you just quoted First John one eight. If any man says he has no sin, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Does that mean when when Jesus said, "Which of you can convince me of sin?" in John chapter eight, he's a liar, <laughs> right? Because obviously he's man, and and yet he claims to be without sin, and that kind of hit me for a loop. I'm like, why? But I said, well, dude, look. Okay, I get your point. But the bottom line is, the Bible tells us in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, for example, that Christ was tempted on all points, even as we are, and yet he was without sin. So he is an exception to that, mm-hmm. and, and Matt immediately pounced on that. And then you can imagine, he said, oh, yeah. so there are exceptions, are there? And, and then I, said, I didn't say exceptions, I said one exception. And then he proceeded to show me how actually there are millions of exceptions to that, which is a theological norm, for example. And when you understand that Romans 3.23 and 1 John 1.8 are both talking about personal sin, not original sin. Romans 5.12 will deal with original sin, and there are two exceptions there. But let's deal with these texts here. All have sinned in Romans 3.23. It's talking about personal sin. How do you know? Just back up to verse 10 and read the 12 verses leading up. It says, there is none righteous, no, not one. All are gone astray. The poison of snake is on their lips, etc., etc. It's talking about personal sin. In 1 John 1.8, you know he's talking about personal sin. If any man says he has been sinned, he's a liar, and truth is not in him. Because in the next verse it says, but if you confess your sins, uh, he's faithful and just to forgive. So, do we confess original sin? Of course not. So we're talking about personal sin here. And then immediately, as he even started sharing with me, of course I had to acknowledge he's right in my own mind, because he says, what about babies in the womb? Have they sinned? Of course not. Romans chapter 9 even tells us when, when uh, Jacob and Esau were in the womb, before they could either do good or evil. Of course a baby can't sin personally, or 
children under the age of accountability or those who are severely uh, mentally challenged, right? Because in order to sin, you have to know what you're about to do as a sin and freely engage your will in that act. And wow, I was almost afraid to ask the next question. Well, uh, 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 okay, I see. Yeah, there do happen to be millions and millions of exceptions to this, but you can't show me how Mary is, and then it was off for the race. Hang on, Tim Staples. We'll have more with him in just a moment here on Take Two with Jerry. We are so glad you're with us here on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie on EWTN Radio. It is a special pre-recorded broadcast, original show. We like to give you new content when we are not able to be here live with you, which is very rare. And so we're just simply asking you to sit back, relax, enjoy the conversation we're having with Tim Staples, Director of Apologetics at Catholic Answers, and just breathe it all in, soak it all in, beautiful stuff about the Blessed Virgin Mary. And Tim, you were talking about your own uh, working through uh, the Immaculate Conception, for example, and how uh, your, your good friend Matt Dula, the, the fellow Marine of yours, uh, just helped to plant some seeds, maybe, maybe crack your eyes open just a little bit to see that the Catholic Church was right about this. So you mentioned there are eight key biblical uh, supports for this. If you want to take one of those and just kind of unpack it briefly for us, that'd be great. Well, you know, uh, with Matt, he showed me the first three that I use in the book. Um, And of course, since becoming Catholic, I have gone a little deeper in my faith, and so I have (laughs) eight of them in in the book. But uh, perhaps right now, let's just do the, the first one, and that is the hail full of grace. Mary is full of grace. And I, because I remember when, as I said before the break, you know, I was a little bit nervous even asking, because by this time I had been in quite a few heated battles with, with Matt, and this guy was sharp, and, and he was really unnerving me. And he was challenging me, and I'm going back, and I'm studying, and then we're going at it again and again. And, you know, when, when I asked the question, well, you can't show me that Mary is an exception, uh, he launches into, well, actually, the the Bible is remarkably clear on this point, Tim, and I'm going, what? Well, it, it, he took me first to Luke chapter 1, the famous text there in verse 26. Of course, the angel Gabriel comes down to a city of Galilee called Nazareth to a young virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, right? And he basically announces to her that she is being called to be the mother of God. But when he greets her, he says, Hail, full of grace. Now, I had never heard this before, Jerry, but he shared with me, Tim, that Greek term there is just pregnant, (laughs) pun intended, (laughs) pregnant with meaning, kaire kekoritomene, and I would later read Pope St. John Paul the Great's masterpiece uh, encyclical that, that he, he actually promulgated March 25th, 1987, right when I was in the midst of my uh, post-Matt Dula study uh, on this stuff. And John Paul's encyclical, as you know, Jerry, is absolutely incredible. One of the more apologetic of his works, you know, he had you know, very taught to splendor, fetus at ratio that were very apologetic, but this encyclical was quite apologetic in defending 
the teachings of the Church on the Blessed Mother. But he points out there that when, when the angel says, Hail, full of grace, there's something here that's a bit strange. Because normally, when you see the word kyre in Greek, hail, normally a title follows, or a name. Right? You see this, for example, in John 19.3. Remember when the Romans were tormenting Jesus and, and plated a crown of thorns on his head, and we cannot even imagine the pain that Jesus went through there as they pounded it into his head. And they mockingly said, Hail, King of the Jews. And we see this elsewhere in the New Testament, where Kyrie is used a title or a name, like Festus or Felix, the Roman uh, and, and uh, governor in, in the book of Acts. It's, it's Hail, O Most Noble Felix, and that sort of thing. Well, here it's Hail, and you almost expect then Mary to be the next word, but it's not, Pope St. John Paul points out. He doesn't say Hail Mary. He says Hail Full of Grace. They're giving Mary a title, right? And name changes are extremely important in in salvation history. You know, we could go through a litany from Abram to to Abraham to Mm -hmm. Sarai to Sarah, Jacob to Israel. All of uh, of these that I just mentioned are examples of patriarchs being created with a change of name. And that patriarch or matriarch, in the case of Sarai to Sarah, and these name changes indicate a change that is permanent in the character as well as the calling of the one name. And so John Paul points out here, what does this name mean? It's Kyra Hale, literally, she who has been perfected in grace. The perfect passive participle meaning a past completed option. Uh, uh, action with ongoing and permanent results. And right there in that title, we can see that Mary being full of grace, the fullness of grace is incompatible with sin. And not only then is she sinless, but this is a permanent state because it's a name. When Abram, for example, which means exalted father, becomes Abraham, which means father of the multitude. He goes from being the father of one family to the father of the entire Judeo-Christian faith, and he is still and forever will be father, called so by Jesus in Luke 16, 24, by St. Paul eight times in Romans chapter 4, right? Father, Father, Father Abraham, because it is a permanent change in his character as well as his calling. So here we have an example of Mary being referred to, she who has been perfected in grace, meaning she has no sin. And this is a past-completed action, already completed in full here, and full of grace, and it will be forever. And so the question has to be asked then, all right, if she's full of grace, how can there be sin? See, you and I, Jerry, we can be full of grace at times in our lives. If you make a, a, a really good confession, receive our blessed Lord well, in the Eucharist. There are various ways in which we can be perfected, but invariably we fall into sin, venial sin, our daily sin. So we're we're not normally full of grace, and God alone is the judge as to when we are. But Mary uniquely is referred to as being full of grace in a permanent state, hence the Immaculate Conception. Now, that was just one example. We went on to the New Eve, the Ark of the Covenant, where 
what starts to come more into focus is not just that she's perfected in grace and without sin, but the Immaculate Conception per se. I'll just mention this real quick about the new Eve, which biblically, I, I just, oh my goodness, he blew my mind showing me the new Eve. And as you know, Cardinal uh, Newman wrote the book on that, Mary the New Eve, and he really revitalized that ancient title in the Church. Not that it ever went away, but he really brought it to the fore, especially in the English-speaking world, when he shows how that when Mary is referred to as woman, woman by Jesus. In fact, Jesus never calls Mary mom in, in the entire entirety of the four Gospels. In John's Gospel, he calls her woman. It appears to be, in our, in our culture, a kind of a put-down, but no, it's not a put-down. Mm-hmm. When he says, you know, for example, at the wedding feast of Cana, ti emoi kai soi gune, what to me and to you, woman, what is this to me and to you, woman, my hour is not yet come. When Mary asks him to perform the miracle at the wedding feast of Cana, he appears to say, no, mom, I'm not going to do it, but he does it because mama says so. Mm-hmm referring to to uh, her as woman is not a put-down. It is the fulfillment of two very important prophecies in the Old Testament, Genesis 3.15 and the Proto-Evangelium there. Just after the fall, God speaks directly to the devil and says, uh, in, in essence, he says, you got the wrong woman here. You think you've won because you got the woman to sin, that is Eve. But he says, there is coming, it, I'm going to transliterate here a little bit, right? Mm-hmm, sure. There is coming another woman who, together with her seed, who is Jesus, will crush your head. This prophetic woman, of course, is the Blessed Virgin Mary. And again, in Jeremiah, we see uh, similarly, uh, that would be in chapter, I want to say, 33, that uh, another prophecy and right around verses 21 and 22 of the coming, in the context of prophesying the, the coming of the New Covenant, for example, in Jeremiah 33, 31 through 34, which is quoted in Hebrews 8, 8 through 12. In fact, it's quoted in two different places in the New Testament, prophesying the coming of the New Covenant. There's a prophecy, again, of the coming of this woman, who, again, together with her seed, would crush the head of Lucifer. And so... When he uses that language of woman, both at the wedding feast of Cana and then again from the cross, woman beholds your son, son beholds your mother, and then eight times in Revelation chapter 12, Mary's referred to as the woman, the woman, the woman, who together, once again, with her son, would both inaugurate and, and, you know, perfect, as it were, the entirety of the people of God by giving birth to them. You know, as we see, it, for example, in Revelation 12, verse 4 and 5, this woman gives birth to the man-child who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron. That's Jesus, quoting Psalm chapter 2, a messianic psalm. But in verse 17, she goes on to give birth to all of us who have the testimony of Jesus Christ and keep the commandments of God. This is this woman. So when Jesus refers to her as the woman, for the first century Jew, they know full well what, what is being referred to here. Mary is the fulfillment. She is the new Eve. And you and I know, Jerry, and all of these that are listening, you need to know that according to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, Colossians 2.16, and other places we could go, 
we know that Old Testament types are, are mere shadows. That's the word St. Paul uses. They're shadows, skia, next to their New Testament fulfillments, their substantial fulfillments. So we know that New Testament fulfillments are always superior to their Old Testament types, like Jesus is referred to as the new Adam or the last Adam in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. I forget which verse. Right around verse 45, actually. Right? So we know Jesus is superior to Adam, right? Nobody would ever say Adam is superior to Jesus. No, Jesus is the fulfillment. Well, Mary is the new Eve, the fulfillment. Well, think about it. This blew my mind, bro, when I first uh, saw this, that Eve, of course, was created in perfection, without sin. She would later choose, along with her husband, Adam, to reject God's plan and sin. But she was created without sin. To say, and by the way, this goes all the way back to the first century, of course, but throughout the history of, of uh, the Catholic faith, the, the Christian faith, the fathers were unanimous on Mary being the new Eve. It would be absolutely unthinkable to say that Mary could have ever had original sin, the stain of original sin on her soul. That would be absolutely unthinkable, because she would then be inferior to her Old Testament type who was created without sin. And further, it was through Eve's sin that death came to all of her children, right? She brought death to to her husband as well as to all of her children. It would be through Mary's obedience, her sinlessness, that she would bring life to all of her children. You can imagine, Jerry, when I'm going through all of this with my Catholic (laughs) interlocutor, and he's blowing my mind here, and then he's challenged me. You know, you need to read Newman. You need to read St. Irenaeus. And he gave me books. Read this. This this is stuff that's been taught for 2,000 years in, in Christianity, bro. I mean, you need to check this out. I did. I read St. Irenaeus. I read St. Justin Martyr, who also picks up on this theme in, in his, uh, his work, his, his first apologies, dialogue with Trifo, and on and on. This was, it, it, I, I call it a paradigm shift, because this was a matter that I just knew the Catholic Church was wrong on. It's obviously contrary to Scripture. Well, he blew away the Scripture text that I used, because actually they simply did not apply to the topic. And then when he starts giving me these positive reasons, I knew I was in trouble and I had to dive deeper. And the deeper I dove, the more trouble I got into. (laughs) Tim Staples with us here on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie today on EWTN Radio. It is a taped broadcast and we're going to continue our conversation with Tim in a moment. So many different directions we could go with this, and time just won't let us, but I've got a couple other things I want to bring up with Tim. But first, I want to tell you that Holy Mass airs from Our Lady of the Angels Chapel every morning, 8 Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio, and it's also every two hours on EWTN Radio Essentials. So if you're not able to make it to a daily weekday Mass, you can catch it right here on most of these same EWTN stations. Uh, Tim, I think we've got about, I'm looking at about 10 or 11 minutes here, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking, not only would we come a, to a fork in the road, but I feel like this is a bicycle, spoke, you know, all these spokes going out, with each one a different direction. I would love to take our conversation. But maybe just getting into, you know, how 
is it that Mary could be conceived without sin? See, you know, we had the Magnificat, my soul rejoices in, in God, my Savior. So Mary needed a Savior, and yet she was born without original sin and, and was sinless dur- during her entire life. I know you could uh, just uh, love to go on, off on this particular direction, but just real briefly, how is it then that Mary could have been conceived and born and lived her life without sin? Yeah, and as far as the conceived without sin, that was a huge question. As you know, Jerry, that that was a question in the Church. We have great minds like Thomas Aquinas, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, who really struggled with the idea of the Immaculate Conception, because, for example, when you read Thomas on this, um, and I remember reading him in the seminary and trying to defend him on this position, and I lost big time. Um, But, yeah, he definitely does deny but this was the issue, is they understood that Mary was free from all personal sin. I mean, that goes all the way back to St. Ephraim the Syrian in, in the 4th century, and, and really all the way back to the very earliest writings that we have, the letter of Diognetus to Mephetes, for example, that talks about uh, Mary being without corruption and such as, as the New Eve. So, I mean, it's... But working it out intellectually, how can, you know, the Eastern Fathers would say she's panhagia, right? All holy. But how do you work it out? Because in order for her, and it's good that you quoted uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 47 there, my, my soul rejoices in God, my Savior, because how could she have a Savior unless she first had sin to be saved from? And that was really Thomas's hang-up, because Thomas said, you know, in order for her, her to be without sin, she would have had to have been saved before she was conceived, and that's metaphysically impossible. And so Thomas says that she had to be conceived and then was immediately healed or sanctified in the womb, and in fact she was uh, all sin taken away, and even more, even the fomus peccati or the tendencies to sin was taken away. But it was because he had no concept of how, look, she had to have sin first, all right? But that was the error. And in fact, there was a, a great theologian, Radbertus Paschius, in the ninth century, who had already broken through on this matter. And he, he talked about a kind of preservative salvation in the Blessed Mother, but it didn't catch on. And the, and the, the battles still raged until the great Duns Scotus and his teacher, really, I think his teacher, William of Ware, doesn't give as much credit as he should, because mm-hmm. his teacher, William of Ware, kind of taught Duns Scotus, but Duns Scotus is the one who published it, and that was the idea of preservative uh, salvation, that no, she didn't have to be saved before she was conceived. She was saved in the act of conception. She was preserved. And, you know, it, it, biblically speaking, of course, and you know, we can say now, you know, Thomas, why didn't you, you know, get this right? But this, <laughs> is, this is this is not easy stuff here. But if you if you go to the book of Jude, for example, in Jude, as you know, it's just one chapter here. But in verse twenty five, the scripture says, "Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you without blemish." Before the presence of his glory with rejoicing to our only God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be glory now and forever and all of that. But you notice, the idea of preservative salvation was already in the Scriptures, already in the consciousness of the Church, but it just hadn't made its way out dogmatically 
you know, uh, and so that's what happens here. It wasn't that the, the doctrine wasn't already there. Yes, we believed Mary was free from all sin. It was now working it out. How does this work real time? And of course, Don Scotus has that great image of the, the man who is walking toward a muddy pond, or mm-hmm. so to speak, uh, and or a pit, a, a, a muddy pit, and. If he falls into the pit, and the pit being so large he can't get out, or so deep he can't get out, he would need to then be saved. Somebody has to reach in there and pull him out of that pit. But if walking uh, toward the pit, someone else saves him, because the idea is the man doesn't see the pit coming, somebody saves him from falling in the first place, he's still saved. He's just as saved. In fact, he's saved in a more perfect way because you don't want to get muddy and fall and get hurt. Mm. The more perfect salvation is to keep you from falling in the first place. And, you know, that seems simple to we Catholics now, but that was a revolution in the Church as well as a revelation, and that is how we came to the fullness of our understanding of the dogma as it was defined infallibly by Pope Pius IX in 1854. Great stuff. Apologetics on uh, the Virgin Mary here on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie with Tim Staples, Director of Apologetics at Catholic Answers. You will find them and his his audio recordings, his video uh, DVDs, I'm sure all of his books, especially Behold Your Mother that we're talking about today on the shop at catholic.com. Quick uh, shortcut to get there is shop catholic.com if you would like to uh, go there and i really encourage you to do that a lot of stations are using that book tim for their pledge drives and have done so in the past uh, i've got about three to four minutes here and i think a good way to maybe wrap up our time together would be to just to talk about and you, you alluded to this at the start of the broadcast how you know yeah. devotion to understanding of, of the blessed virgin mary and devotion to her is the key to unlocking our relationship with jesus without that we're, we're kind of hamstringing ourselves so to speak so talk just just for maybe about three or four minutes about what devotion to Mary means to us in our relationship with Jesus. Yeah, think of it this way, Jerry. It just takes the dogma of Mary, the mother of God, the Theotokos, Theotokos, as it's pronounced today, uh, the mother of God. If you miss it on the mother of God, what happens? Well, you end up missing it on who God is, literally. And why is that? Because if you deny, okay, it's one thing to deny. Oh, no. You know, Mary's not the mother of God. She can't be. That's impossible. Okay, well, then you have to ask the question, well, then who is Jesus, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Well, then who did she give birth to? And that's where the problem starts, because you either have to say, well, Jesus isn't God, and then you end up with the, the Arians or the Jehovah's Witnesses in, in heresy, or you have to say somehow she gave birth to a human person, but not a divine person. So you've created two persons, as Nestorius did, in 429 A.D., and you, either way, you create another Jesus that can't save anybody. I mean, that's how grave these matters are. Mm-hmm. When you miss it on Mary, Mother of God, you end up missing it on who Jesus Christ is. And then I would say on, on the, the other side, and by the way, even in the book, I talk about how you're going to miss it on, on the nature of the Trinity as well. We don't have time to do that right now. But then on the flip side, I think we also, when we talk about Mary's role in God's plan of salvation, right, co-redemptrix, which is a term that's not kind of fallen out of favor today, but the theology of it is absolutely 
uh, true and, and perennial, Mary brings salvation to the entire world. How? By saying yes to Jesus. When you think, it's, it's really simple in that sense, because without Mary, there's no Jesus. That's, that's a biological fact, as well as a historical fact. Without Mary, you don't have Jesus, because she gave him at least 23 chromosomes and probably all 46 chromosomes, and that's a whole other uh, topic to, to get into. I mean, Jesus would have looked like Mary. Without Mary, there simply is no Jesus. She brought Jesus in the world, and she becomes the instrument to bring the world to Jesus. And when you look at, I'll, I'll just, in uh, final point here, have folks read Luke chapter 1, verses 37 and 38, after Mary conceives Jesus, of course, and um, what a powerful text that is. She literally changes the world through her, yes. But think about this. When the angel asked the question, Mary had to respond. Basically, the, the angel is asking Mary's permission for the Holy Spirit, to uh, allow the Incarnation to happen and for, for the salvation of the world. And Mary has to respond. And when she says, let it be done unto me according to thy word, in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, literally the entire universe was changed. Mm-hmm. Now, we as Catholics get that, co-redemptor, mediatrix of all grace. Wow. But do we get, and I always ask people this question, if you don't think Mary is special here, how many of you have ever had a situation? And, and, and by the way, as you know, if you pray the Divine Office, we pray, I think it's around December 20th, as I recall, we pray, uh, we read in the Divine Office, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, famous in praise of the Blessed Virgin Mary, mm-hmm. where he talks about this very point of the, the angels of God awaited Mary's response. And when she responded, of course, the universe erupts. Yeah. Well, how many of you have had <laughs> the angels await your response? Most people say, oh, not me, but <laughs> actually, actually they do. They await our response as well. And, and, and in that sense, in the Blessed Mother, we see our own dignity as well. Wow. Awesome stuff. Catholic.com, Tim Staples' book, Behold Your Mother. And you can find out all about Tim's speaking uh, itinerary and all kinds of great stuff, catholic.com and shop.catholic.com. Tim, thanks for your time today. Appreciate it so much. Thank you, brother. God bless you. Okay. This has been a wrap here on this recorded broadcast of Take Two with Jerry and Debbie. We'll be back live with you soon. Until then, have a beautiful and blessed day. St. Joseph, please pray for us.